And as you can see from your bulletin, we have it, Unity Applied. And that was what I said we would have as a title when we began this, when we get to this stage. And you'll notice it is music part one. Why the controversy? I think it's very important for us to just start right away this morning with the relevance as to what we have learned. We have learned some very foundational things that I think are essential for us as we seek to apply these things. And we notice that it is God that unites people from different backgrounds. This is maybe where you might turn me off because you have heard this over the last few weeks. But remember, we're applying, so listen carefully. God unites us from different backgrounds, from different races, from different nationalities, from different religious backgrounds. That's where we have come from when we have come to Christ. And he himself does the uniting. He brings us to the one another's by the gospel, by the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without that gospel, if you are here today and have still not yet trusted in Christ, you are not united to God, not united to the body. You might want to be, you might think you might be, but you're not. It is the gospel that unites us. Apart from the gospel, we are lost. Apart from the gospel, we are in darkness. Apart from the gospel, there is no hope. Apart from the gospel, there is nothing but death. And yet in the gospel in Jesus, of Jesus Christ, which is not of good works, it is simply of grace that we just sang. It is by the grace of God that we're saved through the message that he has given us through the eternal work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and paid the penalty and price for sin, satisfying the righteousness of God and those who by faith in Christ, in faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, have come to be part of the body of Christ. And those who believe have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. As such, they are part of the body of Christ. So believers are part of the body of Christ. What that means is positionally, and get this again, positionally, we are a resident of heaven. We are bound for heaven. We are eternally a child of God, a son of God, part of the body of Christ. However, conditionally, we are aliens on earth. We live here physically. We are here, we interact. Our home is in heaven, but we must live until we leave this world here as representatives of Christ, as part of his body. And since we are part of his body, he is the head, no pastor, no elder, no clergy, no one. But Christ is the head of the church. He is the one that is building his church. And there is only one body universally, and it is his body. And yet we have seen that he has designed to have, just as we are observing here today, local sections of that body that meet together for interaction and meet together to function. But there are many members who are continually serving Christ on earth until they go home. And while they're on earth and while we are living for him, we are involved in what is called sanctification. We are daily trying to live for him, for his honor and glory, and to function together as a unit, as a body, in oneness, in wholeness, so that not only is it in existence spiritually, but that it is seen physically, observably, by the world, and as we love one another and have that unity and show that unity, they are drawn to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then through the preaching of the gospel, come to know him. However, in that process, because there are many members, we realize that there are differences. But first of all, we have to realize there are non-negotiables. And certainly non-negotiables for everybody include that which the scriptures clearly delineate. If it says you cannot do this or you must do this, there is no option. Non-negotiable. We are not at liberty to violate our conscience. And that is individual. 
as we in our conscience are brought into conviction of something, we are not at liberty to violate that. That is sin. We are not able to do anything that is not of faith, or that is sin. Those are non-negotiables. And then we very briefly pointed out that there are always non-negotiables for individuals, for local churches, for families, and those are determined as best you can. However, there are many areas of difference because we have these differences. And these differences where there is liberty are to be determined by discernment, individually, as families, collectively as a local church, and it absolutely gets into the concept of standards. In these areas of difference, what we have tried to teach over these last six weeks, it is essential that as believers, our attitudes in these areas of difference are godly, that we treat one another as Christ would treat us, that we do not react to the differences in the flesh, but rather we react with the differences, toward the differences, with a godly attitude led by the Spirit of God and maintain with all diligence the unity of the body in the bond of peace. It's essential. And as I have said before, and I will not repeat it over and over again, we find that that is anything but what you find in the Christian church today. So we must apply principles in all areas where freedom exists. But we notice that freedom is not to be used as an occasion for sin. We have seen that several times in Galatians. But in every area of our lives, while we're here living for Christ, trying to live a godly life, we need to apply the scriptures in our lives on an ongoing basis, individually, family-wise, and local church-wise, and universally. But there are going to be differences. Now, I want to say some other things that are very essential at this stage. And I will share a very brief part of my own testimony. Every single one of us would say, and I'm very thankful for what Chris has presented today by the way of music, that the word of God is the guideline. And when I first got saved, his part of the testimony, one of the things, I came out of a Roman Catholic background, and when I got saved, one of the things is God is my witness to this moment that I had as a goal in my heart was I did not want to follow after any more traditions I didn't want to follow after man's theology. I wanted to know what the word of God said and stick to it. And when I got saved, I heard over and over again in this church and throughout New England and throughout fundamentalism that that is the way we live. We live by the word of God and that's where we stand. But I want to be honest. My observation was that that was true until you got into this area. When you get into the area where there was differences, everybody came up with a but. Everyone. And when there were areas where things should be discussed and looked at, it was this is the way it is. Well, the word of God doesn't say that. And it would be made to make it that way. That is not honesty. With any of us, what we need to know is what does the word of God say in these areas? And stop giving the buts. And start relying on what our convictions are and how we ought to react toward one another. This has to be applied in every area. Clothing, entertainment, Bible translations. Listen, services. How many services? When they are, the frequency, all of that. That has developed out of application. There is nowhere in the Bible that it is dictated that on a Sunday morning at 10.30 is when you have the service. Or how many? Or how long? That is not found in the Word of God. And it is the same in all these areas. Well, why are we dealing with music, Pastor Dan? Why not just to deal with all of it? As you know, it's a mini-series. And as I stated in message number one, one of the most divisive issues of our day in the 21st century, 21st century, excuse me, in the evangelical church is music. And honestly, I am disturbed personally 
by how few will address it. They'll talk about it, they'll have their positions on it, but nobody wants to touch it because it's so controversial. I don't think that's the way to handle anything, personally. And yet, as we deal with this and we learn to apply it, I want you to know what my heart's objective is, you should know it by now, that by the end of this series, in this area of music specifically, it is my heart's prayer for this local church, for my own personal life, and for your lives, is that we function in unity, in the bond of peace, with differences. Because that's what God's design is. So, having said that, I think it's important to us to all realize, and I want to say this right away, I personally believe, as I prayed about this, and I've studied this, and tried to go through this, and I know where I'm going next week, Lord willing, time-wise and so forth, there are going to be things that you are not going to like, every single one of us, starting right here in the pulpit. But it is so important that we understand what does God's word say? What does it say? There will be people that will be rubbed wrong this week, and there will be people that will be rubbed wrong next week. And after we all get rubbed wrong, I hope we start rubbing one another right. <laughs> and, and it works out well. Okay? You know my heart. I'm sharing it as a pastor. It's not what we think the scriptures say. What I hope to teach and what we hope to look at is what the word of God does say, and then look to apply it, and here's the end of it, with wisdom, love, and grace toward one another. Now, how do you do this? It's my intent to do it in two messages. Impossible. You're right. Today is introductory, and next week is it. Lord willing, next week we'll be dealing with diversity while maintaining unity. And uh, we will deal with such things, just so you know as it's coming. I will talk about style. I will talk about instruments and so forth. That's next week. But just as I have been doing with you, if we don't understand the foundations, you're not going anywhere. Neither am I with honesty before the Lord. So let's get right into it. Why such controversy in music? Let me give you some reasons. Now, if you happen to be jotting them down, you're not going to be able to keep up with me, so you're going to have to get the disc or tape or whatever it is it's on. But why the controversy? I've tried to be open before the Lord on this. One, because it affects our emotions. Music affects our emotions. It causes us to swing in our moods. Secondly, it is very powerful. Music is a powerful item in our lives. Thirdly, music does re reveal our attitudes. It reveals our hearts whether we're joyous, whether we're rebellious. You look at music that's written. That's why it's written, for joy, for rejoicing, or for rebellion, or whatever it is. It reveals what's going on in our hearts. Music affects our theological beliefs. It reflects doctrine. It does affect how we feel toward authority. You will find that in music. It is affected by, and that's why I repeated it this morning, our backgrounds. What we feel toward music is affected by where we've come. And in case you don't think so, you're kidding yourself. Your children did not come from where you came. Whatever has been drilled into them about music is because it came from you as a parent. It's not because you'll find out that a lot of times your children think very differently from you because music has affected them differently. And they look at it, but with a different background. It usually. Uh, changes. Music changes with time. And any time there's change, you just change a curtain and you have controversy. You change music and there's a controversy. And so forth. It's reality. There is a fear when you're dealing with music that if there's any liberty given at all, liberty will become license and sin. That is never a reason to avoid the truth. There is a fear that music will become like the world. Honest fear. This one is one that's not wanted to be accepted, but it's true. There is different responses by different people to the same music, if we're honest. One person hears a piece of music and they respond one way. Another person hears the same piece of music responds differently. And to try to get something that I hope won't be controversial for a moment, if you were to take classical music, people would say, boring, puts me to sleep. Other people, wonderful. It affects people different ways. There is, a, there is much suspicion that goes on about motives when it comes to music. Their music can and does shape a congregation without question. 
That's why it's so controversial today. It is affected by traditions. It is affected by our culture, the century that we're living in. Music is a normal part of our daily living. Most of the time when you're in a car, hopefully it's not talk shows, but a lot of people like that. You're, you, if you're not listening to that and you listen to something, it's probably music. It affects our lives on an ongoing basis. Everyone has an opinion about what is right and wrong and what is acceptable and unacceptable. Of course, you should. That's why it's controversial. We are involved in it, and not only every day in our thinking, but in every worship service that we come to. Music is a tremendous tool. That's why it's a controversy. What do you mean it's a tremendous tool? It teaches you your ABCs. In fact, isn't there a scale for music? Do a deer, a female deer, ray, and on and on it goes. I'll probably mess it up, so I won't sing it. Okay? But it's a great teaching tool, music, if we're honest. It's a great way to learn the books of the Bible. It's a great way to learn scripture verses. Okay? Advertising often has music behind it. And if we're honest about it, another part of the controversy is music is contagious. When you hear music, watch. People's foot start going. People's hands start going. And, and you say, and somebody says, oh, that's ungodly, you know, and so forth. But it's contagious. It is. Someone starts singing, someone else joins in or criticizes, whatever you want to do. Okay? What are some of the controversies today? I just want to put them before you. Some feel that only the hymns that are found in a hymn book is what we should sing. That's it. Just the hymns. Others say if it's, con if it's contemporary, and the word contemporary used very generally is if anything's contemporary, it's wrong. That's a fact. Some say only the beat matters. And some say the beat doesn't matter at all. What are the controversies? Some say only the words matter. Doesn't matter what the music sounds like, it's only the words. Really? Only certain instruments can be used. In fact, today we're dealing with a situation where, by the way, I'll get into the history very briefly next week, but there were no instruments used in church, by the way, for a while. And then came the organ, the pipe organs and so forth that you'll still see in Germany and all over the place, by the way. And now the contemporary movement, the first thing they do is get rid of the, the organ and the piano, throw it out. So that while they're accusing people of thinking that's the only instruments and they don't want drums, they start throwing out some instruments because they don't feel it fits the 21st century. So instruments become a problem. Choruses, whether you sing a chorus or not, becomes a problem. There's a movement called the Contemporary Christian Music Movement that people are denying and other people don't want to talk about. Some think it's only appropriate not even to sing a, a hymn or a song, but to turn around and only sing the Psalms if you're going to be in church. These are not uncommon positions, by the way. Very few know the history behind music. Here's the one that I will put before you because I think it's the biggest problem of all the controversies, personally. Christians and churches are very quick to judge the entire local church ministry or the entire Christian life simply based on personal opinions. Catch that one. That's the controversy today. If anyone dares play anything contemporary, the whole church has gone down the tubes. If anyone listens to it, the whole church has gone down the tubes. And we're dealing with an area of opinion. But that's the way people are. I think I'm being pretty objective here. People are saying that the church is a liberal. In case you don't know it, the fact of the matter is, some of you may laugh or think it's funny, but it's not. Fellowship Bible Church in the churches in New England that we used to have good fellowship with, we are noted as a very liberal church because of our music. Some have said that we've gone apostate. I've heard it. You might not think so, but it's true. Nobody wants to objectively look at what the Bible says, what God may be doing in a work, and it doesn't matter about anything else, but simply because there's a certain type of instrument or a certain type of music being played or this has happened, they're ready to throw the whole thing out. Aren't you glad God doesn't treat you that way? 
But we're ready to treat churches that way. We're ready to treat lives that way. How can it possibly be addressed then, Pastor Dan, in two messages? Well, my intent is to state the facts today with the background. Some people may get upset with some of the things they hear today, but my intent is before the Lord to just take it for what it is. And then when we go to apply it, and I deal with instruments, and I deal with styles, some other people may get upset and so forth, but again, it's to simply teach the Word of God. Keep in mind the objective is that in the end, we strive for unity in the body of Christ. I really believe, and I want this to get across, if nothing else you hear this morning, that when I'm done with this two-part of this series and we deal with music, is I hope, my heart's prayer, is when people talk about the individuals in this church or they talk about this church, they're able to say that, you know what? They have those struggles too, but look at how they behave. What a testimony to the unity of the body of Christ. That's the goal. In Acts chapter 2, back to the basics, verse 42. What really should be the priority of the local church? What really should be the priority of our lives? Let's get back to that. The original church in its purest form is found in Acts chapter 2. That's why I opened up with this verse. Now, I want you to get a little bit of perspective here. There are about 3,000 plus new believers. Look at verse 41 of chapter 2. God has just added about 3,000 plus believers. It's a pretty big church, don't you think? Listen, there are no programs. Did you catch that? There's no teen group. There's no senior citizens group. There's no kitchen group. There's no anything. No programs, 3,000 souls. There must be absolute chaos, right? Absolutely not. This is a church in its purest form. What were the priorities of that local body, the first local church in Acts after the Holy Spirit had come? What is it? Verse 42 tells us. They were continually devoting. That sounds like they were committing themselves to this on an ongoing basis. That's exactly what it means. To what? The apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What was their form of worship? Number one, the word of God. They were committing themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Now, you've heard it over and over in music today. And you know where this church stands, and there are many other churches that stand the same way, and I'm grateful for that. The absolute top priority is the word of God. Why? Without the word of God, you won't hear the message of salvation. Without the word of God, you won't know how to live for Christ. Without the word of God, there'll be no penetration or conviction or anything else because it's the word of God that penetrates like a sharp two-edged sword. Even the dividing of the soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart and it's referred to in the book of Hebrews as living. Without the word of God, you take the word of God out of believers gathered together and you haven't got much and you will never learn how to live for God. If you as an individual or you as a family want to know how to live for God, you must be in the Word of God. That's why they met and they did that. What else? They fellowshiped. That simply, you know what the word means by now and they need to move forward, but it's partnership, it's, it's sharing. They were with one another. People don't even want to go to the building anymore or be with one another. That was an essential part of the early church. What else? The ordinances. They were involved in breaking the bread. And what else? Prayer, dependence upon God. Those are the things that are there. They needed the word of God. They needed fellowship. They needed to be with one another. They needed to observe the ordinances, and they needed to be involved in prayer. There is not even one ounce of mention of music. None. There's no mention of singing. Now, listen, that doesn't mean it didn't exist. But be honest with the scriptures. There is nothing there. What does that say? The priority, listen, of their meeting together was not music. That had nothing to do with the priority. It could have been a method by which they learned. It could have been a method by which they did things. We don't know. Anyone is guessing at that. But it wasn't even mentioned as a priority. Catch that. In the New Testament, it's interesting. 
As you look at the words in scripture, first of all, of sing, song, hymns, that type of thing, it is mentioned over 800 times in the Bible. Did you catch that? But I want you to notice this. It's almost never mentioned in the New Testament. There is very little mention of it. In fact, there's only two primary texts, and I'll deal with them next week, I hope, but let's look at them briefly. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to catch this. There's only two major texts dealing with it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns. Notice that. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Then it says, there it is, Pastor Dan. Singing and making melody, and I'll deal with that later, but making melody was the concept of the instruments. Where? With your heart to the Lord. You sing in your heart to the Lord. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3. It's the other text. Everybody uses Ephesians chapter 5 as the whole basis for New Testament music. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 16. What's the first priority? Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. There it is again. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns. And you say, there's the singing. Hold on. With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. Hmm. That's what the scriptures say. Now, the point is this. Music was not the priority. It is not the priority of the New Testament. You look. You look at all the instruction that's given to Timothy, to Titus. Look at the instruction in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14. You look at over and over again when he talks about the church. There's nothing. You got Ephesians and Colossians. Now, how about the use of the word song? What happens when you read in English the word song or singing in the Bible? Be honest. What is the first thing that comes to your mind? Music. Isn't it? They sung that was obviously like our music today, right? Wrong. You say, what are you talking about? The word song had to do with poetry. The word song just had to do with the content. It didn't even necessarily mean they were singing. You say, I don't know, Pastor Dan. The concept of singing actually comes in when you hear the concept uh, in our English word, making melody. That refers to the stringed instrument, the clinging. But the word song by itself doesn't imply music at all. We've taken it from the 21st century, not from the biblical times. You say, how do you know that, Pastor Dan? I only have time, obviously limited in the morning, to give you a couple of examples, but let me show you. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31. If we would admit this, hopefully what we're going to get this morning is it shouldn't even be a priority of an issue because music wasn't a priority. Deuteronomy 31. Look at verse 30. I want you to see it for yourselves. Then Moses spoke, now by the way, in the referring to the response of reading this morning was from Revelation, right? And he talked about the song of Moses. Watch. Then Moses spoke in the hearing, he what? He spoke in the hearing of the assembly of Israel the words of this song. He spoke this song. He didn't sing this song, he spoke it. What does that mean? The word song just had to do with the concept of poetry, period. And he spoke it. And then he, what does it say? Until they complete. And here's what he spoke. He didn't sing this. This is the song of Moses. Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth, and so forth and so on. He spoke it. He didn't sing it. You say, I don't know, Pastor Dan. Oh, really? Jump down to verse 32. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 40, uh, 32, verse 44, I'm sorry. Verse 44. This is at the end of it. Then Moses came and spoke 
all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. It couldn't be any clearer. He didn't sing it. He spoke it. But it was a song. Yes, it was. But we associate it automatically with music. You say, I don't know, that's kind of maybe just uh, one example. There's many. But let me give you another one. Psalm, go to Psalm 96. Psalms are filled with them, by the way. Psalm 96. <clears throat> Verse 1, sing unto the Lord a new song. Well, obviously it says sing unto the Lord the new song. Yeah, sing to the Lord all the earth, and we don't look at the whole thing. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim, that is talking about speech. Good tidings of his salvation from day to day. And then he goes on and he talks about ascribing. Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Very commonly you will find, and by the way, it says the same thing, and I'm running out of time, Revelation chapter 15. It says they sang the song of Moses saying the following. When we hear that term, we automatically think that it's a musical sound. What made it musical was when they added the twinging of the, the instruments and they turned it into the guttural sound that comes out from some of the words that are used. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they sang. All I'm trying to point out right away is when you look at New Testament worship, and I have to move ahead a little bit. You're going to have to give me a little grace on this. When you look at New Testament worship, New Testament worship again, I say, from Acts chapter 2 forward, the center of worship was the word of God and preaching. It was the preaching of the word of God. Music did not play a priority in the worship service. Prayer, ministering to one another, the sacraments, and the word of God was the priority. What that tells us is that this controversy, at least it tells me this in the foundation, this controversy over music should never be because it shouldn't be such a big issue. We've made it that. And the reason we've done that is contemporary church has done that. Unfortunately, and I'm going to spend a few minutes on this, so you're going to have to bear with me. Unfortunately, people used to ask when they went from church to church, is the word of God preached? And how is it preached? And is it faithful to the word of God? The preaching was the focal point of looking for a church. Today, in honesty, one of the first questions that's asked is what is the music like? And it wasn't even a priority back then. What is the music like? Music is seen as the center of everything. How long is the preaching? If they're going to talk about the preaching, that's usually what's asked. I dare not take us back to the book of Acts and show us how long it was then. I'll go back to the founding of this country and talk about how they spent all day Sunday together. Please, Pastor Dan, don't do that. I won't. Okay. But... Today, if they talk about the word, is, it, is the message short enough? Is it, you know, only, it's not more than a half an hour. Please tell me it's not that. Generally, the modern evangelical church is entertainment-centered. And in case you think that's my opinion, I'm going to quote, and I ask you to listen as I read different situations. I quote one writer. More and more evangelical churches have reduced their services to the events staged for an audience. God is, only to be the, God is to be the only audience of our worship. But worshipers are now the audience, observers, consumers of a production. Church services have become a kind of show. While their chosen styles range from traditional to uh, radical rock concerts, Churches are falling under the spell of the entertainment-oriented mentality that so dominates our sexual, uh, sec excuse me, secular culture. It starts early. Children begin watching television when they are toddlers. They have entire genres of television shows designed for little kids and even infants. As a result, 
<clears throat> there is a whole generation being reared to believe that entertainment value is the standard by which every endeavor in life is to be measured. But instead of fighting the notion, the church has now embraced it. Churches are high-tech, high-energy, tightly produced, carefully uh, choreographed, repeated, multimedia, spectator events. They have degenerated so much from the biblical model that the original purpose and design that they are no longer even recognizable by the New Testament church. And what is an easy way to draw a crowd or to create a buzz? In one word, entertainment. If you put on a show, people will come. It, and so the more capable you are of doing that, the more polished and professional in, in your production, the worse it gets. The more detached people are from God as the center of their worship, and the more isolated they become with each other. The culture places a premium on individuality, independence, and privacy. To people with that mentality, true worship and fellowship seem foreign, intrusive, and even unnecessary. The answer uh, many are offering is to eliminate what is alien and make the church fit the culture. True worship and fellowship are lost. What a travesty. If the true, true church is anything, it is a fellowship of true, humble worshipers of the true God. Our churches are intended to be centered, the center of real, honest, genuine fellowship of the saints in which there is a life-on-life -life fellowship and believers are concentrating on the one another's of scripture and ministering their spiritual gifts. Let me give another quote. I'll tell you who this one's from. This one's from Al Mola. Music is one of God's most precious gifts to his people, and it is a language by which many worship God in spirit and truth. The hymns of the faith convey rich, uh, rich confessional and theological content. The modern choruses recover a sense of doxology formerly lost in many evangelical churches. But music is not the center or central act of Christian worship, nor is evangelical, uh, evangelism, nor are the ordinances. The heart of Christian worship and is the authentic preaching of the word of God. Some Christians shop congregations in order to find a church that offers them the style and experience, and I quote, that fits their expectations. It is expedient when you look at the expressions looking for what meets our needs. I'm looking for what allows me and my family to worship. That's Al Mola. The heart of our worship should be the word of God. This is what the Reformation was all about. Music commonly fills the time, the space of our worship service and is in fact what really drives services today. Intense planning and financial investment goes into the preparation of this part of the worship. Many evangelical churches are intensely consumed to replicate studio quality musical presentations. But it is the word of God that should be the center and the driving force of our worship. Bob Coughlin, he's the director of music development of Sovereign Grace Ministries, some of you might have heard him, one of the most respected teachers of music today. He says, a sign that music has become an idol is when the passion for Christ has waned, but the passion for music does not wane. John Stott, who recently died, said preaching is indispensable to Christianity. Not only indispensable, but it's central. Worship is central to the life of the church. What is central to the life of Christian worship? It should be the sacraments, the word of God, and obedience to it. For some, evangelism is the center of worship. For others, uh, for others although preaching the word is necessary, the prevailing model of worship in evangelical churches in, in, is increasingly defined by music, along with drama and video presentations. They have a host of entertainment innovations. Relevance and creativity have become the norm. A media-driven culture has replaced a word-centered worship service. John Piper, 
wrote on corporate music and said this, very little is found in the New Testament about the form or the style or the content of corporate worship, and I will be saying that next week. Much is left to our judgment of spiritual wisdom, not tradition. Our corporate worship should be prayfully, thoughtfully, culturally alert, self-critical, Bible-saturated, God-centered, Christ-exalting, reflection-driven by a passion to be filled with the fullness of God. I could go on. The point that I'm trying to get across is this. Even as you look at Acts chapter 2, and if I were to take you through many other passages in scriptures, music was not the center of anything. I'm not saying music is wrong. In fact, next week I'll be saying it's not. I'm not saying we shouldn't have it as a part of our service. We should. But that is not what drives the church. If it wasn't for this book and its message, none of us would be saved. If it wasn't for getting together and studying this book, we wouldn't know how to live. It should never replace the priority of the Word of God. Christ should be the priority. The Word of God should be the priority. Fellowship should be the priority. The ordinances should be the priority. And the concept of exercising our gifts to build up the body of Christ, which includes music. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing how? By the word of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, what did it say? It is through the foolishness of preaching that God has saved some. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to come back to Acts. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. So what am I saying when I'm saying get back to the basics? If we don't start with this, folks, you'll never address music properly. In Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to notice this, verse 11. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. That's why we gather together. Why? For the work of service. Does that include music? Yes, it does. We'll end up addressing that. To the building up of the body of Christ. Why? Until we all attain, notice this, to the unity. There it is again. The unity of the faith and of the knowledge of God and to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's the objective. And what was Paul's instruction? I won't turn you there, but in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you know what it says. His last message, preach the word in season, out of season. That's what we need above all else. I dare say that if we had a contemporary church, and I'm saying contemporary using in the sense of 2012, that came together and met and just had the preaching of the word, what you would hear is boring. I have seen and have in my office drawers many literature that says we are not a boring church. Come for the excitement. And it goes on to talk about the music, the drama, and the word is mentioned. But the concept is entertainment. The concept is giving the people what they want. Christ never gave the people what he want, they wanted. He gave them what they needed. He gave them the message of salvation, though he got rejected. So when we're talking about music, when we're talking about the controversy, we're talking about all these things that are going on, because they are. What I mentioned at the beginning of this message is true. It's not, it's not just Pastor Dan made up. You examine it. That's what's going on. Should it be? No. First of all, because the priority should be to study the word of God. Are there people that are gifted in music and should music be a part of the service? Absolutely, but not the central part. Should we have flexibility regarding the music? Listen, traditionalists, absolutely. And we'll see that next week. And start treating one another the way we should. Because that's what God wants. 
And it's practical. We're fighting. We're dealing. Listen, you go back to Acts chapter 2, and I'll end with this. They're all foundational this week. But in Acts chapter 2, take a look at it again. They were continually devoting themselves, 3,000, no programs, no junior church, no Sunday school, no prayer meeting on Wednesday night. You say they met for prayer. Okay. But what I'm talking about, don't miss my point. No teens, no senior citizens, no young couples. I'm going to miss somebody somewhere along the line. No singles, no special needs. You know, none of these programs are in existence, but there were 3,000 of them. They committed themselves to the word of God, and I will add this right now, in fairness. Oh, boy, I'm never going to hear that one again. I had to come up someplace. But here it is. What happens is we look at that and we say, yeah, well, we have the word of God. They didn't have it then, and we have it. Yes, and it's because we have it so readily and available that many people are discarding a local church because everybody is better authority on the word of God than the elders or the pastor and everybody else, and they're creating their own churches which aren't following the principles of even the structure that's given in the New Testament. But they committed themselves to the doctrine, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Now, if we committed ourselves to that, what do you think the results might be? Well, I'm not sure, but let's take a look at what the results were back then. Go to verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Why? The center was Christ. Did they have differences? Obviously they did by reading the Corinthian epistle, the Thessalonian epistle, the Philippian epistle. There were all kinds of differences and all kinds of problems. But it wasn't there in the early church. Why? They had a sense of awe because God was working many wonders and signs through the place, through the apostles. And all those who believed, notice the attitude. They were together. They saw the need. We have trouble even getting people out to one service, let alone two that's the truth. And I'm sharing a testimony again. When I got saved, and I just gave you my background again, no one had to tell me to come to church. I didn't come because Pastor Stringer said you had to come. I came because I wanted the word of God, and I wanted to be with the people of God. And that's why I brought my family. Because they needed to see it. They needed to see people struggling. They needed to see and be worked through things as well. Today in the contemporary church, we are getting further and further away from that. It's becoming more individual. And I'm not talking about growing this church to 3,000. If this church never gets above 200, praise God. Christ is building his church. Numbers are not important. The fellowship is important. The glory of God's important. The unity of the church is important. And that's what you see. So much so that they began selling their property and possession. When's the last time? Now, this we know, I've preached enough in this area, I'm almost done, but we know this is not talking about a commune, go sell all you have and not have a retirement program. That's not what it's dealing with. But let me be honest. When was the last time that you or I even sold a possession because we knew another brother or sister in the Lord was hurting or there was a mission trip coming up and the only way I could help it is maybe, maybe I could have a yard sale and give them what, what I had. We don't even think that way. We should. They did. And notice what happened, verse 46. I got to jump ahead. I'm not trying to avoid anything. Day by day, continuing, watch this, with one mind in the temple. You say, well, we don't meet in the temple anymore. I hope I've been through enough of that with you. No, we are the temple, but God's brought us together. He's provided a building. Don't go back and try to live in the temple, don't go try to back and live in a house to house situation. They did do that. You're going to see that because they didn't have any place else to go. And they shared meals together. And there was gladness. And notice this, sincerity of heart. They were praising God. They weren't focused on, hey, by the way, where did you come from? What type of music do you listen to? What clothing do you have? Where, oh, you had that background? No, they weren't. That wasn't it. You see, those things they weren't fighting about right on early in the purest early church. They were praising God, and notice verse 47, having favor with all the people, and the Lord, not them, the Lord took care of the evangelism. Why? Because lifestyle evangelism was going on. They were living it. They were doing what we studied in John. 
They were known by their love one for another. They were concerned about the unity and how to take care of one another. They weren't looking out for their rights. They weren't looking out for what they wanted. They were doing exactly what's on those walls of the side of this church, putting the interest of others first. And it was unity in the body of Christ. All that the world, all that Methuen, all that Salem, New Hampshire, or Lawrence could see this church living that way and you would watch what God is doing. He builds the church. He adds to the church. If we had no music, and I'm not going to be telling you to have that. In fact, we'll be rubbing some other people the wrong way next week. Not intentionally, but simply to get the truth across. That's my heart. Is if we just had the word of God in one another and observe the ordinances to be reminded through baptism of how great salvation is, to be reminded through communion how great Christ is and what he's done for us and how I was lost and now I'm united to you and you're united to me and how we need to treat one another. Boy, we would turn the world upside down. There's more confusion in the contemporary church than there is anything else. Might God help us. Might he start with us. And then the scenario of music, we just get back to the fundamentals. It wasn't even a priority. You say Old Testament, it was, Pastor Dan. It was a lot in the Old Testament, part of the temple worship. Yes, it was. There were choirs. There was instruments. But it wasn't the essential thing. When they broke out the word, people stood all day and listened to it. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father in God, this is only fundamental and foundational. I know, Father, you know my heart. It's my desire for the church universally, though I may not express it well, though I may be influenced by my own thinking. <clears throat> you know my heart and it's my desire that universally we be united and be representing Christ the way we should. I pray that you'd help me to do that. I pray that you'd help my family to do that, this local church to do that. And I pray, Father, in any area that we're weak and we've been challenged and even convicted today, we get back to the basics. That when we're dealing with music, though some might even be pious and think, see, it's not only a priority, but uh, there's no room for what's going on today. Help us to be open to the word of God. Help us to not be subjected to tradition, to our own thoughts, but help us to be bound by that which brought us together in the first place, the preaching of the word, the word of God. Might we live for Christ and might this community be affected by it as they see in Christ demonstrated in this local body and as we live in the community. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. To close, I'd like us to turn in our books to number 203. That's the song the choir sings.